Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I've always believed we can define America in one word. Possibilities. That in America, everyone should be given an opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies, they are Americans. They are Americans. Protecting our democracy takes struggle, it takes sacrifice, but there is joy in it. And there is progress because we, the people, have the power to build a better future. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. And especially for those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb, the African-American community stood up again for me. You've always had my back. And I'll have yours. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. You chose hope and unity, decency, science, and yes, truth. Tonight, We're seeing all over this nation, all cities and all parts of the country, indeed across the world, an outpouring of joy, of hope, renewed faith, and tomorrow, bring a better day. It's politics with Amy Walter on The Takeaway. Good to have you with us. After a round-the-clock counting of absentee and early ballots, Vice President Joe Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 election. Meanwhile, the president, as he's done throughout the fall, has been falsely attacking the results, claiming with no evidence that there's been widespread fraud. Many of his supporters have been protesting outside of state election offices, echoing these false claims. It's also looking likely that control of the Senate will come down to Georgia, where two Senate races are headed to January 5th runoffs. And in the House, a predicted blue wave failed to materialize, leaving Democrats with a very narrow majority. Maya King is politics reporter at Politico, and Joel Payne is a Democratic strategist and host of the podcast, Here Comes the Pain. Joel, Maya, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Joel, first, I want to start with you. Uh, Give me your reaction to the news that Joe Biden has received enough electoral college votes, puts him over the top to be the next president. There's obviously a a, a feel and air of change in the air, but obviously it's a delayed reaction. It actually somewhat reminds me of the primary season. If you remember, there were some primary results that came in late. And so it kind of undercut the suspense of the moment where if this happened on election night, uh, I think it would have a different feel to it. So I, I do think that Joe Biden, who apparently is going to be our 46th president, this is this is certainly 
going to be a different coronation than we normally would have for our president. Um, obviously, there are some legal hurdles. I'm sure the president will uh, continue to put up a fight. But the next thing I'm looking for is what will kind of the Republican elites, the influencers, people like Mitch McConnell, uh, Republican governors around the country, what will they signal in terms of how they will respond? Will they demonstrate that they're ready to work with Joe Biden or will they resist? Will they stay tight with President Trump and his message? We saw a Senate candidate who just won in Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, put out a pretty strident statement that he thought that uh, there was some chicanery going on. We've seen others like Larry Hogan suggest that we should count the votes and that if Joe Biden is the winner, that they'd welcome it. So I'm looking for that next. That's a great point. And Maya, I want you to sort of talk about that a little bit, too. We didn't hear Republicans on Capitol Hill stand up to repudiate the president to say none of these claims have any merit. Instead, they've either been silent or found ways to sort of talk around it. Right. What do you see happening now? Well, I think we are really in a rather precarious situation now that we have a, a president who appears will uh, not you know, be elected to a second term, calling into question the legitimacy of what is core to our democracy, which is casting votes. And it really is going to be incumbent upon more GOP uh, leaders and figures to come forth and say that this is inaccurate to claim victory where you don't have it and to try to call into question the legitimacy of votes. And I think the reason why this is so dangerous is because 70 million people voted for Donald Trump and support him. And a, and a large number of those people who voted for him listen to what he says and take it at face value and believe it to be true. And so if they do indeed act on this idea of voter fraud, this could really, we could really find ourselves in a more violent situation. And so I think what's really important is for more Republicans to come forward and say, you know, counting all the votes is important. It's core to our democracy. We saw on Thursday night, Mitt Romney released a statement, a trickling in of, of other prominent Republicans like Susan Collins have also said it's important that we count all of the ballots. Roy Blunt as well has also come forward. So there are a few, but I think we'll need to see a, a stronger presence here. Given what we have seen in Georgia at the regular election. What do you think this tells us about prospects for the um, the Senate elections? So it feels to me that Georgia is going to become the center of the, the political universe, <clears throat> excuse me, yep. for the foreseeable future after, you know, all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted on Joe Biden's apparent victory. It feels like that is where every Democratic and Republican, Republican operative of note will spend their time between now and between that special and potentially two special elections, um, because the, that will obviously be central to what happens in Washington. It really dictates everything. It dictates whether Mitch McConnell will be the majority leader or minority leader. It dictates what kind of Congress Joe Biden will have to work with, everything from COVID uh, relief to health care to some of the democracy reforms like filibuster reform. All of that really hinges probably on what is going to happen in Georgia. Two words I want to elevate here, realignment and mandate. I think there's going to be a lot of recriminations about what the realignment of everything that's happened um, with the election means for both Democrats and Republicans, some surprising trends that we've seen. And I think that that plays, by the way, in Georgia, 
one of the states that will be on the front lines of that conversation about realignment and then mandate. Right. Normally, a president who wins by about what, five million votes and will have a three or four percentage lead and probably will get over 300 electoral votes when it's all said and done. In modern times, that's somewhat considered a mandate. This is comparable to Ronald Reagan's first term. It's comparable to Barack Obama. It's comparable to Bill Clinton, even though that was a plurality. Um, how is that going to be consumed by the glitterati here in D.C., but more importantly, by Democrats and Republicans um, who are in charge of governing right now? I think those are some other questions I'm considering as well. My, uh, I think there are a lot of Republicans who would say to Joel, well, how can you say that there's actually a mandate when voters at the same time uh, supported Republican candidates at the House and the Senate? Republicans made gains in the House, and it looks like they could keep control of the United States Senate. What they're saying is voters actually want a check and balance. They don't want one party government. How do you think things are going to look in Washington? Well, I think before the before election night, um, a lot of people in Democratic circles were uh, exploring the idea of being able to pass, you know, more progressive reforms and trying to get through things like D.C. statehood or a sweeping um, stimulus bill, you know, measures that really appeal to the Democratic base. And now after suffering a few losses in the House and, um, you know, with the, the control of the Senate kind of up in the air, it seems like there's a lot less room for these kinds of reforms. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a pretty interesting fight now to see exactly what these checks and balances look like, especially given the fact that, you know, Democrats still do maintain control of the House, but are also very much on alert um, to try to blunt any real progress of the more progressive wing. Though at the same time, it also, I mean, the progressive wing of the party has a measure of influence here. And with fewer Democrats in the House, could be poised to to still try to push through some changes. Joel, I wanted you to weigh in on that because the last time we talked, you raised this issue about sort of the coming uh, rift in the House Democrats, uh, well, and Democrats sort of writ large, the Democratic Party writ large, over progressives versus the more centrist or moderate wing. And we had reporting from this week that there was a very contentious call uh, convened by Democrats um, where the moderates, include, especially one moderate from Virginia, really going after the progressive wing and some of their issues and saying that that nearly cost Democrats the House and that they have to put forward an agenda that actually helps to keep these uh, swing district members in their seats. What do you take from that conversation and how is that going to play out and how well can Pelosi navigate this? Do you think that her speakership is in peril? I take from that never underestimate the ability of a Democrat to know how to steal uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, th this is so interesting to me. OK, so we're looking at Joe Biden is going to be the president with over 300 electoral votes, with over 50 percent of the vote. Democrats netted at least two seats in the Senate. Democrats held on to the House. There's a chance that Democrats are in striking distance of a majority in the Senate. 
And there's a call within the Democratic caucus about what went wrong. And, and I'm not I'm not Pollyannish here to suggest that nothing was problematic or troublesome. There are different issues that are going to play differently in different parts of the country. But that is an interesting framing to put on this week when we knew that this blue shift was going to happen uh, after mm-hmm. Election Day, that after the votes are counted. I remember this in 2018 when there was a thought within 24 hours of Election Day that it was a it was bad for Democrats. And then it actually ended up becoming somewhat not as bad for Democrats and pretty good for Democrats. And then Nancy Pelosi was the oracle. I'm not suggesting she's going to be the oracle now. But I do think though there's some interesting metapolitics going on within that caucus. Um, I do not think progressives are going to back down. They feel like they did their part. They probably feel like their enthusiasm will help boost Joe Biden in Georgia at the end of the day and Arizona on issues like immigration uh, in places like Nevada, where they got to get over the top in places like Pennsylvania and those big cities. Progressives feel like we are very much a part of this victory that Democrats Mm -hmm. should be celebrating as opposed to kowtowing to the idea that they lost. There's some really interesting narrative building that's going on as we speak. Joel Payne, Maya King, thank you both for being with us today and, of course, being such great friends to the show throughout this entire campaign. Thanks for having us. And the road ahead will not be easy, but America is ready. And so are Joe and I. Politics with Amy Walter from The Takeaway. 